0: Welcome inside the Design Lab. I'm your host, Daniel Hinch, resident engineer here at the Supply Frame Design Lab in Pasadena, California. And this week I'm joined by, that's where you say your name. Hunter. Hi Hunter, how are you? Good. So uh, Magenta and Giovanni are out on assignment this week. Uh, Giovanni is uh, taking some time off to go to spend time with his family in Mexico. And Magenta is up north in San Francisco shooting a detoured segment with the creative team they will be back uh, magenta will be back next week giovanni will be back the week after that so in the meantime we have a special guest hunter who was a former resident here at the design lab don't nod. You're supposed to verbalize. Verbalize. You gotta, you gotta speak. Hunters, what do I do with
1: my hands? Hunter's, I don't know.
0: hunters new to recording audio. Uh, so uh welcome back to the design lab. Uh you were here for the second residency mm-hmm. uh with uh I there were nine other teams. I'm I i can not even rattle them all off at this point.
1: We were just accepting people in from the street. Pretty okay? much
0: at that point, yeah. yeah. Uh and then uh, you have come back to do some work. I mean, a lot of the residents come back to do work occasionally, but you've got something that you're specifically working on right now that I think is pretty interesting. Uh, we'll cover some of that a uh, little bit later. But uh, to start off with, I just want to quickly mention that the show notes for this episode are available on hackaday.io on the Inside the Design Lab podcast project. There's a lot of Ps in that to try to get through. Uh, So if you want to reach out with any questions, concerns, comments, uh, you can post to the comment area on that project or on the notes for this particular episode. Or you can reach out on Twitter at SupplyFrameDL. That's at SupplyFrameDL on Twitter uh, to get a hold of us. Uh, And thank you to uh, the two people that responded on Twitter to let us know that they actually listened all the way to the end to prove that there was more than one person (laughs) <laughs> uh, a little bit later i 'm going to go into Twitter and uh, check on that person 's name so i can uh, so I can thank him personally uh, along with Drew for listening to the entire episode so uh, so first off hunter what is uh, I was going to ask you what your favorite rocky movie was, and you said you had never seen any of the rocky movies No. which is a personal failing uh,
1: you 're a failing because i 've known you for a year, but that 's okay
0: okay. Uh, that's true. I should have at some point just sat all the residents down and forced them to watch. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, here's the two rules of design lab. Uh, here's how to use the equipment. And now we're going to sit down and watch Rockies one through five and you're not allowed (laughs) to leave until we're done. Uh, so rather than your favorite Rocky movie, what is your favorite movie?
1: I don't watch movies. Movies are for boring people.
0: Movies are for- I have,
1: I have imagination. Oh, really? Movies in my head.
0: So you spend two to you spend one hundred and twenty minutes to one hundred and eighty minutes, yes. sitting there easily imagining yes. things
1: yes that's good. Um, my favorite movie would probably be Fear and Loving in Las Vegas because uh. it is one of the few movies that is exactly like the book.
0: Remarkably like the book. Very much so. Sort of the...
1: Not like real life, I'm sure, but like the book.
0: You you read the book and then you watch the movie and the movie helps you to visualize parts of the book that you're like, my brain just checked out. And (laughs) I, I know I read that part, but I never really understood what it was that I was reading. Like the entrance into uh, circus, circus. Yes, that was it. When yeah, no. When when he's on ether,
1: that was that was the point where in the book I was kind of like I'm just lost. Yeah, I like, haven't done this I many mean, drugs. To, I, don't, I yeah. don't know
0: anybody. I literally don't know anybody that has ever, be, even under medical supervision, had ether before. So how can I picture what it is to? I think he says he drugs. He he walks like a drunken in, in an old Irish novel. Uh, <laughs> and then to watch Johnny Depp whatever that walk is that he does up towards the the doors of circus circus making his his weird like semi dolphin whale call <laughs> <laughs> it is that that movie is uh is not only incredibly funny uh but it is uh they really captured the Whatever it, the essence is of what of what Hunter S. Thompson was trying to say about uh, about I don't know American society or American culture at the yeah. time.
1: Yeah, yeah, and for me, it's the cadence. That's why I like Hunter's work is the cadence of his writing, and I think the movie captured that perfectly. Yeah, properly.
0: he uh, that I I don't know how much time Johnny Depp actually spent with Hunter S. Thompson, but it was a significant. They were
1: pretty good friends.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, enough so that that uh, Johnny Depp shot him out of a cannon.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: In, uh, in honor of, oh, what the hell is the name of that article? Uh, Song of the Sausage Creature. Yeah, Because yeah. it's better to be shot out of a cannon than squeezed out of a tube.
1: Yeah, you sent me that. I hadn't read that before. Yeah. I thought I'd read everything Hunter wrote. But...
0: Uh, it's a, that is a great uh, article uh, about what happens when Hunter S. Thompson is given a Ducati sport bike to ride by the factory uh, in all of Hunter S. Thompson's glory. Uh, so, Hunter's uh, favorite movie is Fear and Loathing about in Hunter. Las Vegas. Yeah. It is, is oh, my about my life. Yeah. That is clearly your life. So, you have a, a large Samoan lawyer. Uh, no, we're just kidding. About that. I have Dan. Uh, you have me, uh, who is neither <laughs> Samoan nor large nor a lawyer, uh, but close, but very close. Uh, so, uh, first on the list here is just some some of the stuff that we've been working on here at the lab. Uh so I know you've been using the laser cutter frequently mm-hmm. and have undoubtedly noticed, and certainly today it was an issue when you came by.
1: It's better than ether, the <laughs> fumes that come out of that. That's why I'm in there. That's why I'm using the laser cutter. Oh, I mean, because the whole, like, I've got work to do thing, that's just a, that's you're, just a you're, ruse.
0: You're huffing acrylic fumes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the uh, I, I was walking by the the prototyping room and looked inside and saw something that I thought was a little odd, and I went to go investigate further. And there was a solid half-inch gap on the exhaust port coming off of the epilogue to the ducting that takes it to the ventilation system. And I thought, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why, uh, why everybody's been complaining about the smell when the laser cutter's running. Uh, so I spent some time uh, getting that fixed this week. Uh, and as it turns out, one of the problems that we had was that the exhaust port on the... Epilogue uh, is designed to work with four-inch uh, air ducting, and the issue is that while they got the outer diameter of their four inches correct, they made it out of this this uh, this pot metal. They probably uh, just bought you know either rings or or uh, or tubing of and cut it to length, but it is solid-walled metal rather than sheet metal, and all ducting is sheet metal. So they sort of assume that that inner diameter is basically the outer diameter, less whatever, you know, maybe a, a 16th of an inch, 32nd of an inch, whatever that thickness of steel is. Uh, and in this case, it's super thick, so you can't actually get any of the fittings to, to match up with it. So I had to take the, the exhaust port off of the epilogue, dismount it from the epilogue, take it into the workshop and put it in the Tormach Uh, And the only reason this had any hope of working at all is because I've got these lathe chucks on the work surface of the Tormox, so that I can actually hold tubing Mm -hmm. uh, or the aluminum extrusion for willow. Uh, So I'm like, well, this is four-inch ducting. That's a four-inch lathe chuck. Well, let's see if this will hold it in place. And it kind of did uh, enough to make me bold enough to think that I could use my boring bar to try to just shave a little bit off of the inner diameter so that the those unions would actually start sliding in uh, because everything else was just, you know, the diameter matched the diameter and you couldn't get the pieces together. And I'm making these sort of like claw hands towards myself right now. Um, so I, I put this exhaust port in the Tormach and then loaded up the boring bar. And then, uh, I mean, it's it is... I'm not comfortable using the boring bar to begin with because it's got these depending on the diameter of the tool, you change your speeds and feeds, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm not really good at calculating them for these things that are like three inches, four inches in diameter. Like who the hell uses a four inch diameter cutting tool? Uh, it's not very common. So none of my formulas seem to work for that. And I don't have correct uh, chip loads or anything for these inserts that are on there. And then all of that calculation aside, you're talking about taking this giant hunk of metal, which is the boring bar and taking one part of it and, and sticking it, you know, an inch and a half out the side, which suddenly means it's no longer balanced. And when I had done this previously, there was a horrible rattling sound as this thing is coming up to, you know, 1000 RPM, 1500 RPM. And you start to hear this sound coming out of the, out of the Tormach. So I'm, I am completely apprehensive about this and gingerly, I mean by one thousandth after a thousandth, I slowly lowered this thing in and got it maybe, I think I managed to bore it out half an inch deep and probably expanded the inner diameter by maybe, maybe ten thousandths. And that was at one thousandth at a time. And by the time I got to that ten thousandth, to that tenth thousandth, uh, it was making sort of these weird squealy noises. Mm. And then uh, I saw it start, it, it jumped out of one side, jumped out of the lathe chuck by about a quarter of an inch. And like, yeah, it shows over and extracted the tool, turned everything off, figured, you know, I've had my, my close encounter of the day because the, the worry is that it's, that this thin walled metal that I'm going to reduce its wall, its, its wall strength which means that it's no longer going to be held rigid by the chuck, Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. which means
0: that as this thing is spinning around inside of it at 1,000 RPM, Mm -hmm. it's going to grab it instead of cutting it, rip it free of the chuck, fling it across the inside of the enclosure, uh, and that's if I'm lucky. If I'm not lucky, then something goes horribly wrong with the boring bar, and it ejects the cutting tool at... You know, 1,000 RPM, most likely directly at my face, uh, which is only protected from it by a pair of safety glasses and, and a sixteenth of an inch of plexiglass. Uh, so I wasn't uh, wasn't too enthusiastic about this operation, but in fact, it it somehow, some way, actually worked. That's awesome. So uh, so I've I've redirected uh, all the exhaust piping coming off of the epilogue, and it looks super pro now. Uh, and only to discover that the filters are completely shot in our ventilation system. So when I turned the ventilation system on, even without cutting anything.
1: Oh, it, it smells. The, yeah.
0: the smell of a burning acrylic yes. just filled the lab. Yeah. I mean, we had the windows open today for probably a good six, seven hours. Yeah. Um, so I ordered new filters for that. Um, and then what else did I do? Oh, the ShopBot. The ShopBot. So uh, so we, we've moved Willow Production Uh, which I know everybody is so enthusiastic about hearing about. We talk about it every week. Um, We moved Willow Production out of the workshop and out of the main assembly area here down into the loading dock because we freed up some space. Uh, And that meant that I could clean off the shop bot and give it a good proper deep cleaning. We've been doing a lot of resin sanding in the workshop. And consequently, all of that sanding dust has settled in on every single lubricated surface on that shop mm. bot so uh i mean i i don't i know that the the resin itself the the cured resin will dissolve into alcohol but i don't know what it's going to do in suspension in a hydrocarbon oh, yeah so is it going to just become grit inside the lubricant or is it going to react with the three-in-one oil and actually dissolve into it and change the properties of it Mm -hmm. is it just going to turn into like this gummy gloopy stuff on all the roller bearings uh so consequently i had Mm -hmm. to get everything off of the and then i mean with uh with q-tips and paper towels and three-in-one oil and wd-40 and brillo pads i mean i had oh we got the sheriff flying overhead it
1: just adds to the to the drama the, the of what you're talking about. The shopbot. Yeah. Uh,
0: thank you, Sheriff. So, um, so yeah. So I I did a deep clean on the shopbot, uh, and it's all up and running now, and it's and it's working fine. We hadn't used it in in probably a couple months at this point, so it's nice to get that uh, piece of equipment back. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons for doing that was because you were interested in using it for uh, for these something
1: it's not designed to be used for whatsoever.
0: Well, it, I mean, let's face it. This thing is designed to uh, to move in an X, Y, and Z coordinate pattern, which is basically what you want it to do. You don't necessarily want to use the tools that are commonly available for it, which yes. is the interesting thing. Um, but still, you want to you want to be able to move a a fixed point in space mm-hmm. to another fixed point in space in a very precise fashion, mm-hmm. which is exactly what CNC is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so today you came by to, uh, to get some training on the ShopBot, And how did that go?
1: It went well. Did it? It did. It did. That's so t- despite all your, all your cleaning and your, your inspecting and making sure that it's perfect. What did Hunter do? I
0: don't know. You tell us all about it, Hunter. How did, how did, how did your training go? To be fair, the the issues that you wound up with were not issues of. It your, was not my fault. It, it was, was
1: I was demonstrating what not to do. Exactly. And in that, it, it did what it was not supposed to do. So there's a button, and it was uh, we were adjusting the Z direction. I think we had a sharpie in there. Yep. With the uh, the holder that you had designed for it, and uh, we got it. Uh, we got the x and y axis zeroed out, mm-hmm. uh, and then we were uh, looking at the z position. And you said, "Okay, when you are fixing the z position, make sure that you first move it in a safe space, meaning up instead of down." And I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." So you don't click this one. And when I moused over the down button, then it went down and it jammed the sharpie.
0: The trackpad interpreted that as a mm-hmm. click, mm-hmm. and yes, boy, did it.
1: Bad UI design on Lenovo's part.
0: Uh, clearly, uh, I'd say we we didn't. Now I have I have I have mashed a couple of sharpies in my time with the ShopBot.
1: I did it good.
0: You did it good. I mean, you you exceeded the allowable Z depth by. I'm saying at least an inch. I mean, that was a solid 25 millimeters of crunch, and uh, then a yelp from it, me. And that was a priceless yelp too. That was that was not a. Uh, A sound of any kind of, uh, you weren't joking, you weren't kidding, you weren't, that wasn't an affectation at all. That was a serious uh, yelp of, oh my God, what have I done? Uh, And what you did was you destroyed a 25 cent Sharpie, which is why we always start with the Sharpie. Uh, So. uh, Still
1: the sound, it's terrifying.
0: Oh, that, it made like this crunching, cracking sound that's just terrifying it's
1: it's still with these machines with 3d printers or even the laser cutter you you still think of it as a piece of office equipment and that it's going and, and I grew up around tools so I understand how dangerous tools can be yeah. for sure but um when you're working with this kind of equipment you still think of it like office equipment like oh it's programmed by computer so it's just <laughs> not it's not gonna mess up and it it it, and that, it to be fair
0: it did not mess up it did exactly what you told it to do uh, well okay but, but the fact that you were allowed to tell it to do that in the way that you did is just absolute crap. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: There are prices for having that kind of control.
0: (laughs) With great power comes incredible responsibility. Yes. Uh, That said, uh, so we got over that, uh, replaced the Sharpie and continued on. And so what's, uh, you've used the laser cutter before Mm -hmm. Um, you've used some of the 3d printers here before. Uh, what's it like for you to to work with the shopbot? I mean, the horrible uh, software notwithstanding, like mm-hmm. this is a, a an order of magnitude or several orders of magnitude larger in size. And yeah. just seeing, like, when you watch that thing home itself mm-hmm. when you when you click the XY button to go find the zero zero origin when you first power it on, you see that gantry moving towards the end, moving towards the end. And it almost looks as like it's going to run off the mm-hmm. end of the machine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like it's one thing to see a 3d printer home itself mm-hmm. before it prints
1: or even the other mill
0: or even the other mill. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I mean, this is, uh, this is a piece of equipment that's, f- that's designed to cut pieces of wood that are four feet by eight feet. Right. Mm-hmm. Which for our, our, uh, our European audience. There's Google. You can use your favorite conversion tool of choice to figure out what <laughs> real numbers translate <laughs> into in, uh, in Euro numbers. Um, so it's four foot by eight foot. So you see this gantry start to move around. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a compelling visual thing. Uh, do you think it moves? I mean, admittedly, my tool holder is not the thing to... Uh, to evaluate any precision with, but did it sort of meet your expectation for, uh, for how this thing should move around?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think for what I want to do, I'm definitely going to have to adjust some settings. But I, I see um, CNC as a way to just replace what my hand does, which is different from the laser cutter or 3D printer because they're able to do things that my hands may not be able to do. Right. Um, but the CNC pretty much is just, it's just an extension of my of my own hand. So trying to figure out how to translate Um, because i think what what i want to use it for is for the origami stuff that i've been doing so both Mm -hmm. for cutting and for creasing hopefully and you know with cutting it's kind of a pretty standard operation you cut something it's kind of binary you cut it or you don't um with creasing we're going to have to apply very specific pressures and so i think there's going to be some dialing down that we will have to do with that Mm -hmm. but yeah that's uh but it's fascinating it's a big machine it's really beautiful and um, but yeah, yeah, the, the uh, uh, you do realize this is not a piece of office equipment very, very quickly.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: and particularly with the shotbot because it's got all the exposed uh, gearing like the rack and pinion on
2: there. Yeah.
1: And I still, I don't know why it, it, I think just because there's a computer attached to it. anytime there's a computer attached to something, I think office equipment, even <laughs> though, again, I've, I've, I've grown up in, in a, in a garage full of tools. Well, yeah.
0: Like, cause, cause you are not, it's not like you're turning the spindle on and then you're grabbing some yeah. giant bar on there and moving it around. Yeah. Like you're, you're just pressing cycle start and standing back and watching it do something yeah. horribly incorrectly.
1: Yep. And Um, and I'm a programmer, too, so I'm used to computers doing exactly what you tell them to do and failing miserably. And, and, you know, then you're like, oh, but, you know, with code and this is this is the struggle that I had with getting into uh, hardware and electronics is with code, you make a mistake you know, it doesn't work and it gives you some kind of hopefully meaningful error message as to why it doesn't work and you can go back and fix it. But with anything that that's in the physical world with, with fabrication or (laughs) electronics, you're screwed. Yeah, Like you you broke something that costs money.
0: Your bugs are physical. Yeah. So, so
1: I think there's definitely a lot more anxiety that I have with working with fabrication equipment and electronics that I don't have with programming.
0: Yeah. And, and, and consequently like your first attempt to use it, what happens? You you did, in fact, break something.
1: Yeah, and you laughed. You, I, was, I was terrified, and you laughed. That's
0: great. And the reason I laugh is because it, as though that wasn't exactly what I did the first time that I used the ShopBot. Yeah, shot bot. yeah. Uh, was it the first time? The, I think the first time that the, I, we put the ShopBot together, and then, uh, and then Brian Benchoff of Hackaday fame and I uh, wanted to build these backing boards that are in the rapid prototyping room behind the the stocks and behind where the form labs used to be Um, just like these, these slotted boards so that it was easy for us to route cables and mount things to them for the 3d printers. And the first thing that we did was uh, we drove the, we drove the spindle without the, uh, without the spindle turning Mm. and snapped the bit Mm. first thing. Uh, and then I believe what we did was that we uh, we forgot to take the so in the cam that in the cam software that we we were using before you would define uh, screw holes for fixturing in there as circles, and it would take your circle and it, you could draw your circle as two foot in diameter, but it would still only interpret the the dead center of it as the place where the screw was. Uh, and then you would happily select all the different vectors that you wanted to cut along. And at some point, I clicked one of the circles for the screw hole and didn't realize it. So it's cutting along, cutting along, cutting along, lifts up, goes over, right over the screw and drops the cutting head right into the top of the screw. Mm-hmm. And, and and mind you, that is uh, not just destroying my tool, but I'm metal-on-metal metal contact at high speed, mm. creating sparks, sparks that are now getting sucked up the dust collection system and brought over to a giant bin <laughs> oh, of aerosolized no. <laughs> wood chips. And I, I'm expecting a, a silo explosion <laughs> at any moment. Uh, so that was that was my first experience with the ShopBot. Um, so it's there is no... Uh, there is no surprise to me that when people first start working with this stuff, that there are mistakes. You've been using the other mill quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how was your experience with that?
1: Well, I think I broke that too.
0: Okay. (laughs) To be fair, uh, the other mill did get destroyed in your presence, but I say that very carefully because the other mill, I, my (laughs) belief is that it was already on its way out, uh, when you started using it. Yeah. So, uh, so but that said,
1: but did, just, I mean,
0: did you crash tools? Did you no. mangle work pieces? Like it's
1: No, no, none of that.
0: Like there there is a certain amount of forgiveness that this equipment does afford yeah. you.
1: Yeah. But again it again and in, in how it relates to programming. With programming you can be kind of vigilante about it and just say, Oh, whatever, I'll just throw it up there and just get it done. And with Again working with with real physical tools and uh, real physical objects you can't do that. You have to be a lot more careful so that that's been a that's been a transition
0: yeah that uh, that it is less forgiving of absolute mistake. Well, there are some mistakes mm-hmm. that that aren't just bugs they are eight thousand dollar mistakes yeah. like but- i like in the in the training today I told you if you uh if you run if you try to execute a cutting path and you don't do the right sequence of clicks where you press the start button on the pendant and then click OK, uh, it won't start the spindle and you'll start your cutting path with a non-spinning cutting mm-hmm. tool and that is, and you'll screw up the, mm-hmm. the spindle if you don't catch it in time. And that is a very simple mistake to make. And if you make that mistake, it's going to cost you $8,500 because yeah. that's how much the spindle costs. Yeah that doesn't exist in the world of, of, you know, like programming most micros, depending on which situation they're going into. Uh, and certainly like I've never programmed a website where, you know, mm-hmm. my, my UX design is going to, is going to destroy $8,500 worth of equipment mm-hmm. just like on the first click, Yeah, you know, like submit web form and something goes horribly wrong and I've got to write a check for $8,500 for a replacement server or something. Like that yeah. just doesn't exist. Um, but Hey, kudos to you for, uh, for making the attempt. Yeah. Uh, and from this point is where you continue to start learning and you get your first one out of the way. Uh, you know, the, one of the first things I heard when I bought a motorcycle was everybody drops at once. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, come on. I'm a careful rider. I'm 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 going to be super safe, and I am a careful rider, and I am super safe, and I have dropped one. I I, I mean of motorcycle I've oh god I don't even want to say this right now I've dropped every motorcycle I've ever owned except for the one I currently have.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Knock on wood. That's not real wood. that's, that's, yes, that's, that's
1: definitely <laughs> some kind of engineered,
0: <laughs> some some fabricated uh, material, uh, <laughs> and and some of those I've dropped more than once. So, uh, you know, people make mistakes and, uh, you just need to know how to recover from it and try to do it in a way that's not, uh, you know, completely, that completely destroys your equipment. Yeah. But that's what I'm here for. Yelping and
1: crying is probably not very, but
0: yeah, but you're going to do that. I mean, what do you think I did the first time I ever dropped a motorcycle? It was a brand new Suzuki SV650 and I, I didn't even have license plates on it yet. It still had dealer plates on it. Oh man. And I was coming around a turn in Santa Monica, and there was a patch of oil, and uh. down. Bike slid probably 15 feet. Oh, man. Man. I, I, was, uh, I was very annoyed with myself. Yeah. Um, I take it back. I did not drop my BMW. Hmm. It got stolen before I could, before I could damage it myself. Uh anyway, uh well
1: I, I do want to say just to clear that up, the whole reason with the ShopBot thing is because on the laptop that's connected to the ShopBot yes. there was a setting. So if you just very lightly tap on the trackpad, not a click, but just a tap, it would uh activate a button. And so we then turn that feature off. Yes. Because
0: it's a horrible you're... feature. Yeah, it is. God, it's just like a Mac.
2: It,
1: well, you know. Again, again, if you don't like how a system, you don't like how a system works, it's probably because it's probably because you don't know how to use it.
0: This is true. This is yes. absolutely true. So, uh, thank you for exposing that flaw mm-hmm. on the Lenovo. Yes, that you're the only person that ever discovered. I'm not
1: the only person. You are like, literally the only. People don't person. talk about their mistakes. That's why I'm. It seems like they, I'm the only person. So let me
0: let me ask you about this. Uh, you know where the sharpies are in the shop. Mm-hmm. If I had not been there. Would you have lifted up the Z-axis, gotten another Sharpie, slipped it in and not told me?
1: I would have taken the video of it and sent it to you for sure, because I know you would have appreciated (laughs) it. You love all my failures. You love celebrating every single one of my failures. All
0: your failures.
1: What is? I have the dunce cap. Like you put as soon when I made the 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 um, that lampshade thing that I was making and it didn't work because I had all my angles wrong. What did you do? You put it right up on the white cabinets. I
0: I put it on the white cabinets because you called it a dunce cap, and I thought that is exactly what the lab needs. (laughs)
1: So it's the failure dunce cap. So now, the, now anytime anyone fails with the equipment, they've got to wear the cap and hopefully Instagram Wait, it. I, hashtag supply. Why, why would you say
0: that like it's a negative? Like they have to. Well, wear Well, it's it. an awesome dunce cap. It's got it.
1: like math in it and stuff. It's, all, it's a, an origami dunce cap. That
0: is a seriously cool dunce cap. Yeah. Uh, Golden so, ratio. Uh, so we, you, you and I were talking earlier about topics to discuss on the podcast, mm-hmm. and you said that you weren't. You, weren't, you wanted to talk about origami, but you didn't really mm-hmm. want to talk about origami because you, were, you didn't want to present yourself as an expert on it.
1: Yeah, because I just just started doing origami a few weeks ago.
0: So I think there's something interesting here, uh, which is something that I struggle with myself, which is the how do you, especially in this community, like the, the Hackaday community, when you start talking about something, people immediately assume that, you have, that you're speaking from a position of expertise, And I think that puts pressure on people to either not communicate because they don't want to be perceived as a fraud, Mm -hmm. uh, or or the exact opposite happens where you feel compelled to act Like you are an expert on a topic Mm -hmm. that you know absolutely nothing about, and I think you know certain personalities would look at that second scenario and go, "Come on!" Mm -hmm. Like that's, but there, but we have all talked with people Mm -hmm. that uh, that purport to be an expert in things when they clearly aren't. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so what is what what is that about about this? I don't know, I don't want to like blame the community or say something about that, but is there something within the community that says that if, if you are going to bring up a topic in conversation, like you're at a Hackaday meetup and you say, oh, I just started doing origami. Yeah. Like are people going to immediately assume that you have some, some expertise or some deeper knowledge of the topic than they do, and when I say deeper, I mean like they're assuming that you are a a font of information, yeah, right so what do you what's what how, how has your experience been with this because you because you At, were immediately you, it's something that you're interested in, yeah. but you were immediately shy about talking about it because you were you didn't it, want people to think that you were i don't know if you want like, like mean presenting yourself I, as yeah, an expert on
1: it I, obviously the internet has not been a resource for reliable information <laughs> since its <laughs> no. inception. So, but, um, but I think it's, I think it's the idea of publishing it because if I talk to someone in person, I, you know, have some kind of relationship with them sure. in some way. And, um, and it's, it's just, it's impermanent. I can mm-hmm. say a whole bunch of stuff. I know they're not going to remember all of it. Um, but once you hit the publish button, which you're going to hit publish on the podcast. And that's what made me feel like, Oh, I don't want to talk about origami. Cause I just, I seriously just started doing this a couple months ago and I don't, I don't want people to think that I'm any sort of, uh. Um, reliable voice to to discuss it because right. I, I can't remember you know half of the terminology and, and but but it, it does have some kind of meaning to me so
0: right yeah. but it is but it is it is perfectly acceptable for you to be interested in something mm-hmm. and want to talk about something
2: mm-hmm.
0: without claiming to be an expert in it or purporting to be an expert in it and wanting to just share your enthusiasm for it
1: but I think once you publish anything if you're going to write a book about origami. And and I'm a you know buyer. I'm going to buy a book about origami. I Assume that you're an expert in it. That yeah, you're, you're not, not just.
0: But you're not talking about writing a book. I mean, you're talking I about recording yeah. a podcast. Still
1: though, I, still it's that publish button. I, it's the idea of publishing information. It's it's out there. Once it gets in the cloud, Dan, you you have no control over it. It's so, gone. It's out there.
0: Okay, so let's lo- let's let's release ourselves of the control, <laughs> uh, and tell me why, uh, in your non-expert opinion, what is interesting about origami
1: actually you you put these words in my mouth because this is this is why i'm interested in it is there is a um there's precision but Mm -hmm. it's also creative and there's something that's very mathematical about it that's very orderly and when you complete something it's it's really um i don't know there's just this, this kind of beautiful moment where everything lines up and but at the same time it is um I, I think for the most part, it's working with my hands mm-hmm. and, and, the, and that's why I got into fabrication and electronics to begin with was sort of get away from the programming world and get back into the physical world and, and use my hands. But um, there's definitely something, I think it was invented by, origami was invented by Buddhists and I'm a Buddhist, so there's something very meditative about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think it's that mathematical precision that, um, I don't know, it makes you, it makes you think that there's some sort of order to the world when it seems very chaotic. And there's this one, I, and, and this is why I'm not an expert on origami, because I don't even know how to, permit, uh, how to pronounce it, but there's something called the muria fold. Um, and as you're, as you're folding it, it's essentially a bunch of inverted pleats in this kind of V-shape, mm-hmm. um, and it folds um, both horizontally and, ver- and vertically. Um, and as you're folding it, you're doing like all these like mountain folds and valley folds, and you are you know, preparing this, this um, uh, sheet to uh, compress into a shape, And there's a point where you're like, this is just not going to work. The paper is too stiff and it's just, it's just not going to happen. And you, and you think to yourself, "I, I should just put this down. I should walk away from it. And then there's just this, this, this moment, this very tense moment. And then all of a sudden it comes together and it, and it works and it functions and it completely changes its state. It goes from being a very stiff piece of paper Um, into something that is moving and Mm -hmm. something that's organic and something that's animated and it it brings life into it. So I think maybe that is what is so fascinating about origami to a lot of people. And that's why there's a lot of birds and plants and things is it's about injecting life into inanimate objects.
0: So you've been uh, you've been doing uh, some stuff that I think would be called paper craft. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between origami and paper craft?
1: I, origami is, is really about folding. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some origami purists that say you can only have one square sheet of paper. You can't do any cutting. You can't do any gluing. Right, and the right, shape right. has to be formed from that. I am, as a non-expert, I'm coming in from the outside. I'm immediately like, how can I make this easier for myself? And how can I cut <laughs> this into... And, and just, get it to, just get it to do what I want. So I'm really using origami as a tool to realize some of the ideas that I have.
0: Mm-hmm. The... There is a, uh, I think I showed you the link, like Yamaha. Oh, yeah. Like Yamaha has this, like I, and for reasons that defy any explanation whatsoever, Yamaha has a huge papercraft website yeah. where you can do everything from, you can download a... It's like pop-up cards. Yeah, like, like a, a fully... Rendered like you print out the the cut lines and the fold lines and everything. Uh, and if you have a color printer, you can print out the 2017 Yamaha M1 MotoGP super sport race bike or a walrus. <laughs> like they have an entire series of uh, they have the like they have the motorcycle and then they have the endangered animals and then they have. Uh, Holiday celebrations in Japan, where you can like like print out and fold and cut different types of masks and stuff like yeah,
2: that yeah
1: uh
0: so. Is that the that? That's not really what you're talking about, right? Is not I mean, that's that... I
1: think that's more along the lines of paper craft. There's some folding involved in it, right. but there's not there's not really much that's mathematical about it, and it's really just about taking graphics and representing them in 3D form. So
0: where is the right. where does the mathematics come in to origami, other than the like I need to take this and fold it?
1: I, I mean, I think you I think it's just more about evenly dividing lines, and mm-hmm. especially with pleating and tessellations, there are some um, What's the what's the plural formulae? Like with an E? Is that the plural of formula? There are like uh, formulas. Formulas. yeah, I don't know why I don't want it to say I, I guess because 'cause I'm trying to be an expert. So R- right to now my fancy.
0: my boss is just screaming right now. Alec is like it's formulae,
1: formulae. <laughs> <laughs> um but there is uh Yeah. I don't know. I, there's, if you, if you look at paper craft on Pinterest, you will find a lot of really whimsical, like there's this thing called quilling, um, and which I just learned about recently. You take a very thin strip of paper and you roll it up like a pencil and then you place it. So it's vertically on the, um, on the paper. So it creates kind of like this coil and people create art out of that, out of something so simple. Again, a lot of animals, a lot of plants, um, out of that's a coiled paper. Yeah, there's nothing mathematical about that. There's no um, folding involved, but it's very artistic and interesting. And and what I find what I find neat about origami and papercraft in general is you're taking very simple materials that you see and use every day and you're imagining new life forms for them. Right. And I think that's that's a lo- that's what the design lab should be about is you know, we've had wood and metal around for, you know, ages and ages. What can you do with them? That's interesting.
0: Yeah. The you've been talking a lot about using uh, paper and cardboard, and it, it, you've come to the lab a bunch of times, and I and I've seen you spying the, the like the throwaway bin where we where we put all our packaging. And you keep <laughs> talking about like if you if you like if you were to sell a product, yeah, you would really like it if the packaging that it is shipped in or that it comes in could be used as part of the product itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So how does that, I mean, how are you, how are you thinking about that? Like where, where does that come from?
1: It, 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 you know, it it, growing up, I didn't, I mean, we had a lot of tools lying around. We had a lot of raw material lying around. I didn't get a lot of store-bought toys from mm-hmm. my parents. So a lot of it is just ingenuity. It's just old-fashioned ingenuity. What do I have around that I can use to, you know, and, and that's what I did a lot when I was a kid. And I would play and I'd pretend to make robots and um, you know, planes and boats and things. And it would just be with stuff that we had lying around. And again, it's my imagination that completed it, right? I <laughs> I all I needed was just some kind of weird form and and that kind of looked like what I wanted it to be, and then my imagination took care of the rest.
0: What's what's brown and shaped like a stick? <laughs> yeah. A stick.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, you know, for um, I noticed this when I went to go, and this is why I started the origami. Was I went to go visit my niece, and she's thirteen. And they live in Nebraska, and they have Amazon Prime, and they are getting Amazon boxes several times a week. Yeah. And what do you do with those boxes? And they you know, order a lot of toys for her and things like that, but is, is there something that you can do creative with the boxes and shipping material that you can get? Um, and so that's what we did while we were there just playing. Mm -hmm. Um, we were, uh, we were playing with her drone and we decided to make an obstacle course. So we took some poster board and some boxes and made a windmill out of it. I had a spare Arduino and I think I had one of your motors lying around. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, we took some paper and folded into stars and put some lights in it. So there's, there's a lot that you can do, um, with just those materials to, uh, to, uh, to be playful with.
0: Right. And that's, and, and it also goes back to, you know, recycling, reuse, Mm uh, not taking, like, I mean, we, we have a stack of boxes over in the corner right now that are just going to get broken down and thrown into the dumpster because we know that the dumpster is going to get, basically goes through an entire recycling process here in Pasadena. Yeah. Um, but it's the, wouldn't it be great if there was some use for this stuff, uh, before it ever got to that step? Mm-hmm. And admittedly, the lab is kind of a unique situation where I am fairly fascist about the things that we keep inside the lab and the things that we throw out. Yeah. Like this is not the place where anybody comes to store their stuff for long periods of time yes. just because, oh, it might eventually be useful. Yeah, Like that, that, that doesn't, that don't, that don't fly in Dan's lab. Yeah. Um, but to a certain extent, like, I mean, you can look at the boxes and go, oh man, I, I could really use that box at some other point as a box mm-hmm. rather than I, i've got this box and you know it's it's johnny from airplane which is also probably a movie you've never seen before Mm-mm. where johnny goes uh where uh, uh 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 lloyd not i was gonna say lloyd benson god it's anybody that that actually knows about movies and politics is going to be infuriated by the fact that I just said Lloyd Benson instead of the particular actor's name, who's the air traffic controller, who prints out a weather map, and he shows it to Johnny, and he says, Johnny, what do you make of this? And Johnny looks at it, and he says, oh, well, I can make a hat, or a brooch, (laughs) or a pterodactyl. Um, I don't even know what I was talking about anymore. Oh, the boxes, boxes. the boxes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's the, the, I could use that box again as another box in order to store things, or you know i can use it to to make a toy or to make a jig for holding something yes. else yes um
1: so, like a laptop stand. I realized I needed a new right. laptop stand because I got a new laptop and the old stand which I ordered which was this beautiful piece of aluminum that was shaped into this really nice form. Now there's a lip on it that's just a little bit too thick for my laptop and so I thought to myself I need to get a new laptop stand and I got very angry because <laughs> I bought this $50 piece of aluminum thinking oh it's going to be really solid and great and, and I realized it doesn't
0: Inflexible.
1: Yeah and it doesn't but it, you know it doesn't need to be solid because this laptop stand is going to last way longer than than my laptop ever will.
0: Right, right. And so that's right.
1: that's what makes me think about, you know, accessories. Wow. And I, I took the this, that's, and I, that's so sad. No, it is. I well when I took the the class at Art Center, I took a soft goods design class mm-hmm. and and um uh the guy that uh uh Kema uh that uh taught the class, he used to work at an accessories company for um Mac products. And he talked for, about when you um, say Mac,
0: you mean uh, Macintosh. Macintosh.
1: Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So we worked for a company called Book, and um, and so they, you know, they made uh, uh, backpacks and you know iPod cases and and whatnot, or iPad cases, mm-hmm. and um, and so what happens when there's a new release of a product? Well, all the old product is thrown out. What are you going to do with it? You oh, can't God, recycle it. You yeah. can't do any. You can't do anything with it. And yeah, there's so, no
0: like Ross for for that sort of no,
1: stuff. No, yeah. no, yeah. So um, so that made that made me think like maybe maybe for our you know technological accessories, maybe they need to be made a little bit more impermanent, and right. maybe accessories need to be made to last the lifespan of your product.
0: Or maybe Apple could design it so that it well, was more, that
1: would be amazing.
0: More, uh, more accommodating of things mm-hmm. like changing the power plug mm-hmm. or removing a headphone jack or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was our ice maker.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not. You should going invite to the ice maker on as a special guest once I, in a while. It would be far
0: more interesting than most of the stuff I babble on about. <laughs> uh, so we've got on the list here and, and, uh, called Creative Constraints. And I think this follows in uh, directly to what we were talking about, which is uh, sort of the origami and the paper craft and mm-hmm. reusing uh, paper and cardboard. Um, I have my own definition for what I interpret as a creative constraint. Uh, but this was a topic that you wanted to talk about. So what mm-hmm. is, how, how are you defining it? What does it mean for you?
1: I mean, a constraint is a limit. Mm-hmm. It's a rule that it's just it's just a boundary line. You can't go past this. So in a project that I'm um, currently working on, it um, purposely does not use any electronics whatsoever. There's no power at all. There's no battery. Um, there are no electronics components. And all I can use is paper, cardboard, and then I this is kind of a loose rule, but I'm including plastic tubing into it, but it, it, pretty much anything that can easily be acquired and that you have around your house. And mm-hmm. so pretty much I I am the kind of person, I'm a hoarder, maybe not <laughs> uh, uh, um, psychologically, but I, I, I store a lot of extra crap around. And so um, I'm thinking of it in terms of what, what sort of common items do I have around my house and how can I use those to build what it is that I want to build? Mm-hmm. Because normally my process, and I say normally, you know, being very new to this, but like I'm working on my residency project last year I was thinking what are the most advanced coolest materials that I can use in this and and how can I how can I shape them in these really interesting ways and so I wanted to I I wanted to get away from that and introduce a constraint because I think that's what makes the idea come through a lot better it forces you to think about the idea and the concept over the final design, mm-hmm. over the aesthetics, and this sort of final product that you that you end up with. Right. Um, but I think it's also it's just a form of problem solving and ingenuity that everybody has.
0: I get uh, this this feeling uh, when I when I when I divorce myself from the concept of being Dan that runs the lab, and I I think about what it would be like if somebody just gave me the keys to this place. And said, you've got four months. Like, here's your own private residency, Mm -hmm. Dan. You've got this entire lab full of all this equipment, stocked with all this material, CAD-CAM stations out the wazoo, Mm -hmm. nine different types of 3D printers, uh, different fabrication technologies and everything. I I would have no clue what in the hell to do here. Yeah, yeah. Because by presenting me with everything, Mm -hmm. I I don't there's there's no there's no imperf- like the the like the 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 small grain of sand around which the pearl is formed or the you know the 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 seed around which the crystal grows like there's no by by giving me just this entirely blank slate is the tyranny of the blank canvas like i don't know where to start mm-hmm. uh, so the the idea of having constraints even if they're self-imposed of i am only going to work in this specific material mm-hmm. Uh, I for myself, I think that gives me a lot more freedom to explore what I can do with that material rather than sort of starting with an amorphous yeah. goal and then going, well, do I 3D print myself there? Do mm-hmm. I mill myself there? Mm-hmm. Do I make it out of wood? Do I make it out of plastic? Where am I going to get the right mechanical properties? Like, rather than that, it's like, I need to build something and I am only going to build it out of either Paper or cardboard? Mm -hmm. How do I do that? And then by knowing, in this case, the material that I start with, now it's making a lot of decisions for me in terms of the different uh, tools I can use to shape it, the Mm -hmm. different ways I can adhere it to other things. Mm -hmm. So that rather than like opening up the cabinet of adhesives... And going, you know, do I use the CA glue or the epoxy resin or the mm-hmm. JB welder, the Elmer's glue? Like, if I'm gluing paper together, my decision is already made for me. And that makes the process easier because your brain isn't caught up in these like these minutiae. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. There's, there's something called in psychology, it's called decision fatigue and Mm -hmm. it's, it's when in, and there are some psychologists that think that we just simply have too many decisions to make in a day, even with like buying products or whatever. And it, and it ends up, it, it reduces your willpower. And, and when you're trying to do something creative, you need as much willpower as possible. So having fewer decisions, is very freeing. Right. But I think it also, it just, it forces you to problem solve in ways that you wouldn't um, normally problem solve. When you're surrounded by this equipment, it's a huge luxury. Um, but I think it's also, it's it's kind of a, a prison a little bit because you think, I mean, w- when I started the residency, it was like, okay, you got to come, you, you know, you need to have this like cool project. There's like, you know, hackadays kind of associated with it. And mm-hmm. these people are doing all these cool things. There's this amazing equipment. They build this beautiful lab. I need to make sure that I maximize it as much as possible. And that was um that 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 made me not creative mm. because there was just it was just too much it was, it was open to too much possibility I mean, there's
0: i i maybe it's just because we've been talking about origami like I picture like the uh like it would be it would be an incredibly bold statement to apply for a residency to like to be the guy that sits in the corner meticulously caring for a bonsai right like <laughs> it's incredibly creative. Yeah. It's incredibly meticulous. Yeah. It is it is an absolute expression of of design and there and I'm sure there's some engineering in there too. Mm-hmm. Uh it is kind of plant torture to be mm-hmm. fair. Um but to 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 be invited into a facility like this and I am certainly not suggesting to anybody out there <laughs> that this is a wise thing to do. Uh, But to but to be invited into a facility like this and then to eschew the use of, of all the equipment because it simply doesn't have, it it simply isn't the way that you are going to, express your design Mm -hmm. is incredibly bold. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: But that's the thing about bonsai is it's not about the finished product it's about the act of doing it it's about the daily care that you have. And I think with origami, it's the same way. Like I'm,
0: I'm going to disagree from the standpoint (laughs) of the one dude that always has the bonsai trees for sale sign on I five, like somewhere up by Koalinga.
1: But he also really enjoys his life. I don't think he does.
0: I think he just buys them (laughs) from like home depots or something like that. And then drives to the middle of nowhere, interstate five in the central Valley. And, why in the hell did I stop at this place? To, like, it's so completely incongruous. You bu- did you buy one? Hell
1: no. Oh, why did you stop? I don't know.
0: Because he was selling bonsai. Who the hell is selling bonsai in the middle but of...
1: You're so susceptible to advertising. I, I truly am. Yeah.
0: I truly am.
1: No, but uh, no, I, I'm just...
0: So, uh, so what is... So, tell me about the constraints of working with paper and cardboard. What <sighs> What is it that you are... What is it that you are finding to be constraints, and how is that?
2: That's
1: the thing is I don't think they are constraints. To me, it's it's actually really freeing because I'm I'm just I'm able to come up with better ideas and more interesting ideas. It's it, there is a lot more um, freedom. I was watching a, a YouTube video last night, and I, I apologize because I can't remember where it came from, but um, there was a, a kid and he was explaining um, the concept of harmony, and it was like to like a, you know like a kindergartner all the way up to Herbie Hancock. Hmm. And Herbie Hancock told this story about when he was working with Miles Davis, um, he was, uh, they were about to, to play a gig, and he heard Miles say, avoid the butter notes. And he was like, what are butter notes. It's the most
0: jazz comment right? ever.
1: But the thing is, it actually, what Miles said was avoid the bottom notes. <laughs> but, he, but Herbie Hancock misinterpreted it as avoid the butter notes. So he's thinking to himself, like, okay, what are the what are the butter notes? So he determined what those were, and he came up with something completely different that he had, that he had never done before, and he got huge applause, and it completely changed his music career. He thought com- he thought, thought about music completely differently, and that's the moment that he became Herbie Hancock. And it was because of the constraint of this false constraint of avoiding the butter notes so so is you you don't even have to be good about coming up with your constraints you just need to be random and i think that maybe that's where the sort of chaos is is introduced maybe or i I don't know
0: so the seriously this is like the third reference to japanese culture i'm going to make possibly the fourth yeah fourth uh so whenever i i talk about creative constraints because i think they are super important so i always mention haiku Mm -hmm. which is the like dan yeah cannot write a poem to save his life. Yeah. But I can write a pretty tricky haiku. Yeah. And the reason is because I have those constraints cool. within like I can I can still use all of my vocabulary. Yep. I can still express myself as much as I want. But because I I I have these constraints to work in to know that I'm trying to hit a certain uh you know verbal note or a certain emphasis at a certain point. Yeah. But I've only got three lines and you know, a certain amount of syllables in which to do it—twenty-eight syllables in which to do it. Mm-hmm. Like that is—it's that those constraints really free up a lot of headspace when you're not sitting there going, "Like, what is a stanza?" Like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah I, I think it definitely gets rid of the the so-called left brain and 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 frees that up. But I think it, it's also when you have a constraint, what's the first thing that you want to do? You want to break it. If you have a rule you want to break i mean that's i'm wearing leather jackets so that's maybe that's just i I'm, and i'm and wearing I'm, a hoodie like i you <laughs> she,
0: she said uh the first thing you want to do with a constraint is break it and i made the sourest face because <laughs> i like the first like a constraint my equipment can't move past zero zero like I, you try to do that you are going to break that constraint and what happens to the sharpie then hunter but what happens to the sharpie then
1: but if you if you it
0: no i the 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 idea of I have seven syllables, fourteen syllables, seven syllables, oh yeah, well screw you, I've got seven syllables, what does it look like if I go with ten syllables, yeah like that the those I... those like Impose the restraint the constraint on me. Yeah. And now let me see what happens if I start to move the boundaries of those constraints and explore what's on the other side of that.
1: Yeah. Or just making do with what you have and seeing what seeing what you can do with it. Seeing what, you know, if you have a constraint of a sheet of paper, a six inch by six inch square what do you, what do you do with that? That's a huge constraint, but you immediately try to break the boundaries and you create a crane or you create a plant or something beautiful.
0: Yeah. But first you go to Google and look up, what do I do with a six inch by six inch piece of paper? <laughs>
2: uh,
0: well, that's what I do. Um, so are you, uh, do you want to talk about anything that you're working on yet? You want to talk about anything? Not yet. You're
1: definitely, definitely in an upcoming episode. For upcoming sure. episode. Yeah. Okay,
0: cool. Uh, cool. So, uh, we got, uh, let's see, what, where, where are we at here? One time. Holy crap, you realize it's almost been an hour? Wow. Yeah. Uh, so last item on the list. Uh, uh, we were going to talk about the closing of Toys R Us uh, last week, uh, and we ran out of time. Giovanni got to choose between three topics, Theranos, uh, Toys R Us, and mm. blockchain. And of the three, <laughs> he chose blockchain. <laughs> uh, so I thought I would save Toys R Us until now, uh, talk about it with you, about what your impression was about the fact that there is this, like the major toy retailer in the United States. Yeah. Um, now mind you, as a child, I never got to go to Toys R Us.
1: I didn't either. So I had the whole story. My parents never bought me toys. So I had to be creative. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. I think I like when I when I finally grew up and I had money, I would go to like KB Toys because it yeah. was like knockoff Toys R Us. Yeah. Um, and then at some point I went to Toys R Us and walked through there and went, I don't want to buy any of this junk in here. Yeah. Like, like like the the board games were crap, the toys were crap, yeah. the stuffed animals were crap. Yeah. Like there wasn't anything in there to justify its position that it had held in my brain for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, so i personally, am not surprised to see a, a specialized retailer of goods, uh, that, that I have to imagine was being driven to the lowest common denominator on price on everything that they mm-hmm, sold, mm-hmm. uh, going out of business. It's like, why, yeah. why is there only Barnes and Noble left in the United States?
1: Yeah. Amazon pretty much can be blamed for both.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but so I said that we would talk about Toys R Us and then you immediately went, oh, I don't want to talk about Toys R Us. What is it that you want to talk about?
1: Claire's is also closing down in addition to Toys R Us. And And for those of you that don't know, Claire's is a jewelry and accessory store for girls or boys now. Um, uh, And uh, that is closing down. And And when we were talking about it, I mentioned getting my ears pierced at Claire's. And Magenta also got her ears pierced at Claire's. And getting your ears pierced as a girl when you're young well, you have your ears pierced too, but as yeah. a girl, it was like a major thing. My parents were like, you were not getting your ears pierced until you were in junior high. So to me, that was symbolizing like becoming an adult and finally becoming a, a woman was getting my ears pierced. And now that place is gone.
0: Guess where I got my ears
1: pierced? Claire's? No. Did you do it yourself?
0: No. no. Are you kidding? God, no. Well, I'm way like, too much of a wimp. It, uh, d- it doesn't hurt that bad. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Uh <laughs> Uh, I got my, I got the, the, the first piercing in Germany, uh, oh. my, uh, it was cause I went to Germany after graduation and for my 18th birthday, my aunt got my ear pierced, uh, not so much because it was my 18th birthday, but because she knew it would infuriate my father. <laughs> uh, and then for my 21st birthday, I went to Claire's and got the, oh, you the, did? the second piercing. Oh, aunt. we'll
1: see, see.
0: Yeah, I remember Claire's. I've been to I I have gone to Claire's subsequently uh, for the 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 tyranny of the man buying the earring because you have to buy them in pairs.
1: <laughs> no, you didn't go to Spencer's. Spencer's is where you could get the single oh, ones. Oh
0: god, Spencer's is Spencer's still How, open. Spencer's has gotta still be open and that is a weird retailer. Oh yeah. They've got a strange array of things for sale inside yeah. Spencer's. <laughs> yeah. Um but why, so Claire's was like, I think of Claire's and I think of like turnstiles, like the, the big like retail turnstile displays of earrings. Yeah. Like, like from, from, from cheap plastic hoops up to like 23 carats sterling silver, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, or surgical steel for the people that had just gotten their ears pierced. Mm -hmm. Um, and I want to say like, really bad, like extensions, like hair extensions.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Like,
0: like, you know, or like not, not extensions, but like, like Uh, a shock of like, bright pink hair that you could like clip into your, to your hair. Yeah. Um, what are they competing against that they would go out of business i mean there's probably a whole bunch of like they I, got sold to blackstone group and then got I, parted yeah. out and then there's you know bonds well, out the wazoo
1: i think claires and toys r us are shopping mall mainstays so i think it just it goes along with the decline of the american shopping mall
0: claires i would say, yeah claires definitely but in toys a r mall toys r us is
1: always attached to a mall
0: toys r us is always I like a so. cornerstone in a in a strip mall yeah like there's you don't ever go to like westfield whatever yeah, And there's a Toys R Us. There's always a Macy's or a JCPenney or a yeah. Nordstrom's. Uh, boy, I say that, and I immediately could smell uh, the smell of what it's like to be inside a mall. And you know what it smells like to be inside a mall? Pretzels. No, it smells like frickin' Abercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> Here's true story. Uh, you've been to the Santa Monica Promenade? Yeah. So there's an Abercrombie and Fitch. And right next to the Abercrombie & Fitch is a Barney's Beanery, which, for those of you that don't live in L.A., is a kind of an L.A. institution. There's like three or four of them around town. It's a bar and grill, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also happened to be the closest bar uh, with reasonable prices to where I used to work in Santa Monica for 15 years. So we would have many, many, many happy hours at Barney's Beanery. Uh, And then... I was at a mall in Sacramento and I'm walking around and I go, wow, it smells like there's a Barney's Beanery around here and there was an Abercrombie and Fitch because they pump that awful cologne into the air mm-hmm. and then it just it seeps into your clothing and into your skin <laughs> and into your soul in this really dark, horrible way. Um, I don't even know what we were talking about anymore I've got on this Abercrombie and Fitch rant, uh, <laughs> their awful hiring practices and God awful clothing. Uh, and my, my German cousins came over and, uh, Abercrombie and Fitch did not have a retail location in Germany anywhere. Mm. And when they heard that there was an Abercrombie and Fitch in Santa Monica that they could walk to and go inside Oh my lord! They could not contain themselves. They were so excited. Uh, I still don't understand that. Um, so uh, we were talking about Abercrombie pulled the thread. Daniel uh, Abercrombie and Fitch, Barney's Beanery, malls. Oh, Toys R Us. Yeah. I knew there was a thread there somewhere. Um, so uh, I mean, the loss of the loss of Toys R Us, or the loss of Claire's, is this. Is this significant? I yes. mean, are they? Are,
1: are I think it's significant.
0: Is it? Is it significant in the same sense of like actual bookstores closing?
1: Mm, definitely not. Book uh, bookstore owners are curators, and that, that, that ooh, that's me, a
0: good point.
1: No, yeah, that to me it's the knowledge of what it is to buy that. Um, that we've lost because now you're going to rely on popular opinion. You're going to rely on what the New York times bestsellers are there. There's the only curation that's happening now is, is on the internet. So I suppose maybe other people, people have found other sources, maybe there's blogs or something like that, but you know, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's kind of sad because you make a lot more money as a retailer than you would as a blogger. There are a lot of bloggers that are doing the same kind of work that retailers do and probably don't make <laughs> as much money.
0: Yeah, like you're 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 actively doing the work of Amazon to curate their lists yeah, for them. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, and you might make some money off of advertising or whatever or the Amazon affiliate links, but you're not going to make nearly as much as what a bookstore books, bookstore owner would.
0: Yeah, but everybody is entitled but, to publish their opinion.
1: Yeah, but I don't know if Toys R Us is considered a a curator of oh, the, the appropriate Lord, toy no. products. You know, that, I think that went out a long ways away. I don't so. think
0: anybody assumes that Toys R Us had any yeah. valid opinion on anything. Yeah. What about Claire's? I mean, other than it being an institution. That's, yeah,
1: for the, for the whole, like, where do you get your ears pierced conundrum. I
0: honestly would have no idea. If somebody, if somebody two weeks ago had, had randomly walked That's up to question. me on the street and said, where would you get your ears pierced? There's I a, would have said Claire's. There's a
1: business opportunity there, Dan. It doesn't hurt if you do it yourself. You just use a sewing needle. Just...
0: Every part of that frightens me deeply. <laughs> it's like a sewing needle in a lemon or something like that.
1: Oh, I wouldn't eat. Lemon has acid in it. That sounds like exactly. a terrible idea. It sounds
0: horrible.
1: <laughs> I think you're supposed to have like a potato or something in the back maybe to stick it into if you just to have some kind of pressure. Oh,
0: good but, God. How about no? Yeah.
1: Just use the bot.
0: I bet I bet you can buy a piercing gun of the bot. Okay. Hold really still. Oh, shit. <laughs> I got the Z-axis sure wrong. <laughs> Don't let Hunter run the bot when you're using it to pierce your ear uh god um i bet you can buy a piercing gun on amazon
1: i'm just saying piercing there's got to be some tribal societies where piercing a body part was a big deal and they had a whole and and so uh, with claire's being gone that that part of us is gone
0: hmm. i heard this uh this interesting uh, god i heard this quite interesting thing on a clip from a show called qi which stands for quite interesting uh apparently there is, or at least there used to be, a tribal language that was spoken somewhere in, uh, in the South Pacific where the concept of time being linear was reversed. So the future was behind you and the past was in Whoa. front of you.
1: that's Alice in Wonderland.
0: And the reason that they, they, they communicated this way was because you could see the past. Uh, so of course the past would be in front of you because you can uh, see it you can understand interesting. it and you can't see the future consequently it must be behind you
2: hmm. Hmm.
0: which i just it that is something that is so deeply ingrained uh hmm. that i don't uh i can't i can't imagine what sort of an effect that has on the culture yeah uh but there was another culture that uh so this is, the QI is a sort of panel game show type thing in England. And uh, the question was proposed to the contestants to close their eyes and have everybody point northeast to where you perceive northeast to be. Mm. And obviously everybody immediately points in different directions. And there is a, uh, again, a tribe in, in Africa this time, I believe, that... Uh, communicates direction exclusively in what their interpretation of north, south, east, and west are, based on like where the sun rises and the sun sets mm. uh, at different times of the year. But everything is communicated in this way. Mm-hmm. So uh, when they say, you know, please pass me the drink. Oh, where's my drink? They don't say the drink is on is to your left. They say the drink is to your southeast. Mm. And everything is communicated in that fashion. So every minute, like the like, can you imagine trying to communicate G-code in that fashion?
1: <laughs> That's a great open source project. I think you should start
0: <laughs> the the, the geomagnetically defined uh, CNC machine. <laughs> Step one: orient it exactly on the magnetic deviation. <laughs> Or magnetic variance, deviation, magnetic deviation, no, variance. <laughs> oh, my God, this is why I got that question wrong on the exam. Uh, yeah, no, no, let's, let's not. Um, anyway, we're starting to seriously ramble here. Uh, and I think we've exceeded our allotted hour. See, and you're like, does it have to be an hour? And no, I was it doesn't like, well, have
1: to Sure, we won't have much to talk about.
0: Seriously, right? Yeah. So was this as bad an experience as you
1: it was better than the shop bot training i hopefully (laughs) hopefully i succeeded with the podcast better
0: well i there is still a chance that you're gonna just like walk into the workshop grab my machinist's hammer and just drive it into the face (laughs) of the recording booth right over here (laughs) uh cool anything else you you want to talk about
1: no thank you for having me this is fun absolutely happy to
0: have you Mm -hmm. uh so i am daniel hinch the resident engineer here at the supply frame design lab in pasadena and this week i was joined by
1: hunter Futo
0: former resident of the Supply Frame Design Lab Mm -hmm. working on very interesting things with paper and cardboard and design constraints. And uh, Giovanni and Magenta will join us again in the not too distant future. In the meantime, everybody have a fantastic week. We'll talk to you later.